From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Mayan Silver. It's a day before the primary election, so we're speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com, about what you need to know in key races this midterm election year. Here's our conversation. Hi, J.R. Welcome back. Hey, how are you doing today? Pretty good. So, you know, what we've got, we've got main U.S. Senate candidates dropping out of that race. Just to remind people, Tom Nelson, Alex Lazry, and Sarah Godlewski are still on the ballot, but they have dropped out of the race. So it looks like Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes will potentially coast to victory. Is there, is there anything important that we need to know about that race? Any benchmarkers that Barnes is looking for in terms of turnout? You know, it was going to be interesting if we had still a contested primary on the Democratic side and one on the Republican side for governor to compare turnout, right? Because there are all these questions about enthusiasm and who has it. And in the post-U.S. Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case overturning the right to an abortion uh, nationally, really been interesting to see if Democrats were jazzed up more than were before. Uh, but we're not going to have that now. Y- yes, there are some other candidates in the ballot against Mandela Barnes. Yes, Nelson, uh, Lazarus, Lewski remain on the ballot, but that one's pretty much over. I don't think there's going to be a huge groundswell of turnout for Democrats. Uh, there really isn't a reason to right now on that side, unless you're really passionate about the Secretary of State's race and that primary over there. There's not much to drive people out. So I, I don't think they're looking for any benchmarks as much as they have a head start now on focusing on Ron Johnson. Granted, all the Democrats running were kind of focusing on Johnson and a lot of their criticisms, but... This really made it a one-on-one race for Mandela Barnes two weeks earlier than it could have been if there had been a contested primary. And you mentioned that uh, Secretary of State race. Some Republicans want to shift oversight of elections from the bipartisan Wisconsin Elections Commission to the elected Secretary of State's office. The WEC was itself created by Republicans in 2016 instead of the more independent government accountability board over which politicians had little influence. What should people know about this year's Secretary of State race? Well, a couple of things. One, uh, Doug LaFollette has been Secretary of State since 1975 for all but four years of that period. He spent $86, that's right, $86, on his pre-primary report. So he wasn't really doing a whole lot. He told me that he was running mostly a virtual campaign, relying on Zoom calls and social media. He faces Alexia Saber, who is the chair of the Dane County Democratic Party. Now, she faced the challenge of, one, he has kind of a golden name in Wisconsin politics, and two, she didn't raise enough money to effectively communicate to a statewide audience about why she thinks he should lose. So really a challenge there for her to beat the follow because of resources and his name. On the Republican side, what's interesting is uh, Amy Loudenbeck, who is a state lawmaker, member of the Joint Finance Committee, really kind of has the establishment support in that primary she faces Jay Schrader, who is from Nina, ran against La Follette four years ago. Schrader has been pushing the idea that if he had been Secretary of State in 2020, he would not have certified the results for Joe Biden. Now, I'm not sure exactly how he could have stopped that from happening, but he's argued that that would be something he would have done. There is a PAC that is not really registered with the state of Wisconsin that trying to figure out who they are, but they've been doing mailers saying that Jay would try and make it Harder to cheat? Well, Amy would make it easier to cheat. Uh, I don't know that the mail is necessarily accurate, but it is an attack going after Amy Loudenbeck, who's normally a, a sleepy race where she has all the establishment support and has had a financial edge. Uh, Schrader did put about 
$86,000 of own money into the race, the very end of it. So he's going for broke here at the end. But really, primaries like these are so far down the ballot for people compared to the governor's race or the Senate race. They're not really paying as much attention to them. It'll be fascinating to see what the turnout is and the results, especially in that GOP primary where you have somebody pushing this whole kind of stop the steal notion against Amy, who's you know called for election integrity measures, but more kind of an establishment pick type Republican. I see. So that's something to watch along with going forward, whether or not the GOP-led legislature and whoever's in the governorship would pass power over elections going to the Secretary of State's office, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, Tim Michaels, Rebecca Clayfish, they've called for abolishing elections commission. Obviously, if Governor Evers is reelected, he's not going to allow it to happen. But Robin Voss, the assembly speaker, he's not in favor of abolishing WEC. He wants to see changes made, but he's not talking about doing away with it and returning those powers to the Secretary of State's office. So it is, I'm not sure how much momentum the whole push to put elected officials back in charge of elections will have, regardless of what happens in November or who's governor. But uh, because of the legislature, I mean, the, the, both, I think, Robin, I think Devin Lemahieu as well, the Senate Majority Leader has also said he's not in favor of abolishing that agency. So I think Republicans would make a lot of changes to state law about elections, but I'm not sure they're ready to abolish the agency. I see. Okay. So uh, flipping over to the GOP primary for governor, both former Vice President Mike Pence and former President Donald Trump were in Wisconsin stumping for their respective candidates. That was uh, frontrunners Rebecca Clayfish, who is aligned with Pence, and Tim Michaels, who's aligned with Trump. The Journal Sentinel called it the big surrogate struggle. Is that race still neck and neck, and did either of those visits push the needle? Well, we saw a poll that came out from Emerson College on uh, Saturday or Sunday had it neck and neck. I think it was like a within two points with Clayfish, you know, a slight edge, but within the margin of error, so not really, you know, a lead on Michaels. I don't know that Mike Pence by himself visiting is going to sway that election. Now, Trump is a different uh, political animal in terms of like what he can do. He's much more prominent in campaigns. That Emerson poll showed that a lot of Republicans are decent numbers that are more likely to support somebody if, if Trump supports them. However, half that makes no difference. So I don't know how big a deal even Trump's endorsement is. Really, it's about the arguments that Clayfish and Michaels have made and the cases they've made to voters. It's been interesting to see what's happened in the last closing weeks. Sometime in like early July, it really looked like Michaels is in strong position. He had kind of had a blitz of early ads. Clayfish was kind of struggling. There was a feeling that, you know, things were really kind of moving Michaels' direction. And then she started going negative on him. And there was kind of a little bit of a political antenna popped up for people about her doing that, wondering, okay, does this mean she's trailing? Is she falling way behind? Is she desperate? Whatever, you know, angle you want to take on that. Whatever it was that motivated it, doing it probably helped. Uh, there's definitely a sense that she has gotten her legs under her. And as poll, even with Michael, uh, August polling is always kind of a little challenging to get right. Either way, both sides are going negative at the end. Michaels has got ads hitting Clayfish on China. Club for Growth Action is doing ads against Clayfish. You have Clayfish going after Michaels. You have a group backing Clayfish going after Michaels. There's a lot of stuff flying around right now. And I'm wondering, what do voters go for? Uh, do they want the experience of Clayfish or do they want an outsider? And Michaels, somebody who hasn't been in government for a good chunk of his life, and what are they going to pick on Tuesday? I'm going to pose something to you which may be very difficult to answer and probably potentially impossible to answer, but which candidate, Clay Fisher-Michaels, is considered 
you know, to be the stronger adversary against incumbent Democratic Governor Tony Evers? Oh, I've been asking that question for weeks, and I've gotten different answers because each could pull a different segment of the coalition that Evers could put together to win. So Clayfish, for example, um, she may be able to do better with female voters who, you know, Evers wants to do well with. She might be able to pull that coalition. Also, a um, little less Trumpy. So might those suburban college-educated women in Walkershaw County, for example, be more likely to go with Clayfish than Michaels, who's fully embraced Trump, who turned off those very voters we're talking about? Michaels, though, has the advantage that he is an outsider. We're in an environment people aren't happy. They're, they're angry about things. They, they want change. They don't like incumbents. If you're, Michaels is the opponent, he is a true you know, non-incumbent didn't spend eight years as lieutenant governor, he would offer more of a, an attraction that way. Uh, so there's pluses and minuses to either of them. Either way, what I'm watching is how much cash they have left when they get out through this primary and who comes in to help them right after because you're, Clayface especially is probably going to be broke right after the primary is over. Are you going to see the Republican Governors Association come in and spend a bunch of money to kind of give her some time, air cover? Um, because I can bet you money, whoever wins the primary on Tuesday, that you will start to see ads from somebody going after them not long after that. They want to define, Democrats do want to define either Michaels or Clayfish for voters before they can do it on their own. You know, they're going to hit them on things like abortion. Both have embraced Wisconsin's 1849 ban on abortion, except uh, to say life of the mother. They are going to hit them on that issue from now until November, most likely. You're going to see things like that start to pop up. And that's going to be interesting to watch, you know, what do they have left in the tank to respond to that? And who helps them respond to those attacks that are coming any day now? You're listening to Capital Notes. I'm WUWM's Mayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor at wispolitics.com. So, J.R., that sort of leads into tomorrow's primary election. It's a partisan primary, so you can vote for either the Democratic races or the Republican races. Or There's also Libertarian and Constitutional Party, Constitution Party write-ins. But you can't mix and match. It all comes on one ballot. Do Democrats ever vote in the Republican primary and vice versa for strategic reasons? And would you expect any of that tomorrow? And if so, why? Sure. I mean, you you, you hear anecdotally stuff, people talking about doing that. The challenge is in all my years of covering this, it's, it's hard to point to examples where there was a concerted effort to get one party or the other to vote in the other's primary and really made a difference. Again, there are anecdotal information or stories about it happening, but... I don't know you can say this one really swung a race because X party played in Y party's primary. Remember, you get one ballot, you have to check if you want to vote for the Republican primary, Democratic or whatnot. You only vote in those. You can't vote, for example, in the primary for Secretary of State on the Democrats and the Republican governor's primary. Can't do that. Um, but no, I don't, I don't know that I'm going to see a big groundswell of people doing stuff. But for Democrats, with there being no more Senate primary, you can go kind of mess around the Republican Party if you wanted to and not have it hurt your, your party. Now, obviously, Doug LaFollette and Alexia, they'd, they'd love to have you vote in the primary because they want your vote for Secretary of State. But it is interesting to see what will Democrats do tomorrow because they don't have a real big high-profile t- race on their ticket right now. So besides the governor and U.S. Senate, there are other races on the ballot, like the attorney general's race. Incumbent Democrat Josh Call is running again, and he's challenged... You know, through his tenure, he's challenged state and federal laws in line with Democrats, issues like the environment, LGBTQ rights. And he has said his DOJ will not prosecute doctors for performing abortions in Wisconsin. Who's running in the Republican primary to challenge him? And can you tell us about them? 
The two most high-profile candidates are Eric Toney, the Violet County District Attorney, and Adam Jarko, a former state lawmaker from Balsam Lake. What's been interesting there is Jarko has no experience as a prosecutor, um, and Republicans kind of like having experience as a prosecutor. Voters in general like you having prosecutorial experience if you're going to become attorney general. That's one reason why people tell me Eric Toney has done well in votes like at state convention back in May with the endorsement vote uh, for the party. Now, he fell shorter than Mark needed to get the party's endorsement, but he did do much better than Jarko. It underscores that when Tony has the opportunity, when he can connect with voters or talk to them, he connects with them quite well. The challenge for Tony has been he does not have the resources to connect enough. Uh, Jarko has outraised Tony. Looking at the latest reports of the state for independent expenditures, those are those express advocacy ads saying, like, vote for, vote against, support, you know, the magic words you call them in politics. There's been nearly a million bucks spent to support Adam Jarko through ads, mail, canvassing. That's a huge advantage in this. What gives Republicans pause when I talk to him is normally they'd say, okay, that, that person has all the financial advantages. They should win. They're given pause because of what they've seen these these caucus votes. They're kind of going, well, why is Jarko not connecting with people the way maybe he, they think he should? It could be that experience thing. So it'll be fascinating to see, I think, Talking Republicans, they feel like Jarko should have the edge on Tuesday, but they're not going to be surprised if Tony pulls it out just because he has that experience that Jarko does not. And there are nine primary challenges to incumbent GOP state lawmakers around the state, including longtime Republican Assembly Leader Robin Voss. Why is this important? Well, one, it kind of is a test of this kind of um, establishment Republican candidate versus these upstarts who are making claims about the 2020 election. The Adam Steen challenge, Robin Voss, is a prime example of that. Steen has claimed the election was stolen. He's endorsed by Donald Trump, who you know, did that rally on Friday for Tim Michaels, but also had Steen come speak, uh, praise Steen from the stage. Uh, Michael Gableman, who Voss basically hired to do a review of the 2020 election, he's endorsing Steen. Um, Steen is all about 2020, saying that the election was stolen. Robin Voss has said, look, I have concerns about fraud in that election, but we can't go back. Lawyers have told us repeatedly, you cannot overturn the election results. Let's not focus on that anymore. So it's going to be a real contest of, of establishment versus that kind of kind of thing. You know, by the way, looking at those independent expenditure reports, there's been like $150,000 spent on Robin's behalf, either pro-loss material or anti-Steen. About thirty grand spent for Steen. You know, that's a disparity there. I've you know been told that capital... Uh, lawmakers have gone down to Robins District and done doors. Lobbyists have gone down there and volunteered their time. You know, staff have put time in on their time off to go do it. I mean, they are not taking this lightly because they don't want Ron Voss from the Air Cantor of Wisconsin. Remember, Cantor was the powerful Republican House leader who lost surprisingly his primary out in Virginia a few years back. They are not taking this lightly. They are going and working to protect Voss. Again, it's a question of can the Trump endorsement help somebody so much who has really not much else going for him to make a difference. Okay, so I'd I'd also like to touch on the lieutenant governor races. There are primaries for Democrats and Republicans. Lieutenant governors don't usually garner much attention, and their sole responsibility is to step in and lead the state if the governor becomes incapacitated. But clearly it's not like a U.S. president who picks their vice president. Can you tell us about how they work together and the candidates in each primary? So the candidates run separately on the ballot. They both have primaries. Once the primaries are over, they're on the ticket. So on the Republican side, for example, the top two candidates 
uh, Roger Roth and Pat Teston, both state lawmakers. Um, those are the ones who spent the most, raised the most. Let's say one of them gets through that primary and advances. He will run with whomever voters choose in that Republican primary. So it'll be Tim Michaels or Rebecca Clayfish, the top of the ticket, with you know either Roth or Teston as one ballot line, right? In that Republican primary, uh, Roth spent about three hundred grand in the pre-primary period, which is mostly July. Teston spent about thirty-four grand. I mean, that's a huge disparity. Um, it's not overwhelming, but it's significant when you're talking about going for a statewide audience. You know, Roth has spent money on TV, the Milwaukee Green Bay Markets. He's got a group doing mail for him, I think radio as well. Those things help. On the Democratic side, uh, Sarah Rodriguez is a freshman state lawmaker from Brookfield. Uh, she decided to run for lieutenant governor rather than seek re-election to her seat, which became way more Republican of the new maps. Uh, she's running against Peng Her, which is a uh, guy in Madison, uh, CEO of the Mong Institute, I believe it's called. Sarah has an advantage. She's raised a little bit more money, spent a little bit more, done some digital ads, a little more out there, but better known because she's sitting lawmaker. So I think she has an edge, but that one's been pretty quiet. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch how the two turn out. All right. Well, looking forward to checking in next week to talk about the results. JR, thanks for joining me on Capital Notes. Anytime. That was J.R. Ross of WizPolitics.com speaking with me, WUWM's Mayan Silver. Listen for our segments every Monday with an extended segment on Lake Effect. And check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 